0: Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Tonight, we're going to move out of the doctrine of God proper. Okay, so uh, earlier this year, we began with uh, this series, Doctrine and Devotion, Theological Reflections for Spiritual Formation. And we began with the doctrine of Revelation, which is the undergirding authority of Scripture, that guides us in our understanding of our Christian faith. Scripture is our guide. Scripture is our foundation. If we can believe what Scripture says, then anything Scripture teaches, we're to submit to and bow before. And so we went through the doctrine of Revelation uh, in the spring and then finished up the last couple of weeks. We've gone through the doctrine of God. And we've not exhausted the doctrine of God because in, in one sense, every aspect of biblical doctrine comes back to the doctrine of God. If we have the proper perspective of God from Scripture, uh, it shines a light on and gives us clues about all the other doctrines that we need to see. In a post I wrote this week regarding our worship, our worship is theocentric, meaning it really is all about God and only about God. He's the only one that really it matters if we please. He's the focus. He's the attention. And so a doctrine of God should be, broad. It should be big. Uh, 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 the, the bottom line is, none of us have a picture of God that's too big. But many of us probably have a picture of God that is too small for who He is. So all of these doctrines that we're going to look at come back to the greatness and the grandness of God. Uh, with that said, we're going to move out of specifically talking about the doctrine of God, and we're going to move to talk about the doctrine of man. And so we'll talk about the doctrine of man uh, the doctrine of sin. In the next four weeks, we'll do man and sin, and then we'll pick up on Christology, the doctrine of Christ, and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and then the doctrine of salvation. Why that order? Well, I didn't decide on that order. In, uh, in, uh, in Christian theology, theology history, revelation, God, man, sin, Christ, that's pretty much the typical order of a theology. There, there's a logical reason for that. As I mentioned Sunday in our worship, about our worship services, our worship services follow a similar structure. God, man, Christ, and response. Why is that? Because the gospel logically progresses from who God is in His greatness and holiness to us then considering who we are in light of who God is. We don't start with us. We, we look at us, man, and... ...in light of who God is, and it gives us a proper perspective on ourselves. And then, of course, we recognize, and we're going to see this in the coming weeks, that we're fallen people. We're sinful human beings, and so our sin brings us to a place where we need an answer and a solution... ...that, of course, is Christ, why He came, and the reason for which He came. So we'll spend several weeks in the doctrine of Christ... Probably will not finish the Doctrine of Christ this fall. We'll probably be moving into that in the spring. From there, we'll look at the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll look at the Doctrine of Salvation or Soteriology. That'll probably get us through next spring, and we may not even finish all of those through the spring. We'll just see how far we get uh, each week. But tonight, we're going to look at the Doctrine of Man, and particularly the phrase Imago Dei. Um, that is Latin for the image of God. God made us in His image. Where do we get that from? So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you've got a copy of Scripture and want to follow along, you can. I'll just read this. And then God said, let us make man in our image. That's the divine plural that is kind of a foreshadowing of the doctrine of Trinity that's found later on in the New Testament. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So on a number of occasions, that, that terminology is repeated. God made us in his image. Well, what does that mean? It means that when we start, when we look around at the people in the room, People you meet at the fast food restaurant, people you work with, people you interact with, people that you see on a television screen. Every single person that has born into this world experience is an image bearer of God. Now, we hold that because we believe truth comes from the pages of Scripture. Not everybody in our world thinks that way. In fact, we recognize that, that we're unique in our existence and our experience, and we're gonna unpack that more as tonight goes on and as the week goes on. Um, uh, Jean Paul Sartre, who is a famous postmodern of a bygone era, he has a far different perspective on humanity. He said this It was true, I'd always realized it. He said, I hadn't any right to exist at all. I had appeared by chance, I existed like a stone, a plant, a microbe. I could feel nothing to myself but an inconsequential buzzing. I was thinking that here we are eating and drinking to preserve our precious existence and there's nothing, nothing, absolutely no reason for existence. That perspective is shaped by an evolutionary naturalistic worldview and shaped by a concept of humans where we are merely evolved animals or part of some kind of ongoing machinery in the work of the world. I'm going to be honest with you. If you move outside of biblical Christianity, the uniqueness of humanity goes away. And it goes away, and its natural extent in terms of philosophy is found in Sartre's comments here. He said, I had no reason to exist. The depression that is undergirded by that kind of mindset is staggering, But that can't be true, right? If we're not made in God's image, there are some things we lose. Those are the first blanks on your page. What's lost if we've not been made in God's image? Inherent dignity is lost. If we're not image bearers of God, we've lost our dignity. Because if you and I are just evolved animals, if we're just cogs in some kind of Machinery of economics or society or, or, uh, or some kind of communistic uh, government system. If that's all we are, then you're a number. You're, you're, just, you're just an ape. A little bit smarter, nicer looking ape, but that's all you are. What, what value do you... We don't have dignity if we're not made in the image of God. So we've lost that. And if you look at how society, culture, particularly contemporary American Western culture views human persons and we're going to get into personhood and identity and we're going to talk about that some next week but if you look at how society views persons there's not an inherent dignity that's under that undergirds our value system don't see each other that way we see each other as completely as something completely different so if we lose the image of God we lose inherent dignity if we lose the image of God we lose inherent morality So, our law system, whether you like it or not, is founded upon a Judeo-Christian ethic. In fact, much of the European uh, law system, particularly Great Britain, and certainly the law system that, that undergirds our our court system, it, it, is based on a Judeo-Christian ethic, which comes from the pages of Scripture. But if you pull out, if, if we're not made in God's image, and there's no such authority that dictates laws, then what happens is morality becomes whatever society says it is. We don't have time to unpack this tonight, but if you think about the distinction between universal law and civil law or natural law and civil law, civil law is, is basically, you know, the, the speed limits. Somebody arbitrarily said it's better to go on this road at 35 miles an hour and it's breaking the law to go on that road at 45 miles an hour. And there's reason, there are reasons for that, right? But those are largely arbitrary. We realize we have to have civil laws to function. But if it, without inherent morality, all laws are civil. Meaning all laws are open to change based on the majority view of the people in our world. And if the majority view of people in our country... Hold to a different set of values and morality, and they don't look at us as image bearers of God, then if the larger group of society says, no, we want these laws to be this way, then we've lost inherent morality or a morality that governs our value system. That's one reason why we as Christians are so frustrated with the direction of our society. We're like, how can these things be The reason these things are is because we gave up on the idea that we're made in God's image and gave up on the idea that God gets a right to tell us what's right and wrong. Once you lose that, the sky's the limit for any kind of moral uh, degeneracy that we see in our world. i me tell you a third thing that we lose. We lose cultural security. So the laws of our land should protect those that are innocent. Say abortion laws. Or laws regarding life. And and I'm thankful for the recent court decision. But that's a victory in a a much longer and larger fight. All that court decision did. The Supreme court decision did. Is kick the laws back to states. And states can kind of do whatever they want with that. But here's the reality. If every created being is an image bearer of God. Which the Bible teaches that. Psalm 139, other places. Jeremiah 1. If every created human being is an image bearer of God, then our laws should protect all of those who are image bearers of God. In fact, God made it very clear about that in Genesis chapter 9. If you take a man's life, your life will be held uh, accountable for taking someone else's life. I mean, that's Scripture. And so, our laws should function that way. But if you lose the idea, the concept that we're image bearers of God, that we're a clump of cells or that we're merely a part of a woman's body as a, as a distinct embryo within a woman's womb, if, if, then, then if you, you don't have to hold to protecting that particular life. So we've lost cultural security. So when God created man in his own image, what does that mean? What does that look like for us? Let me give you five particular capacities. that, At, at the very least, the image of God means this. It can mean more, and we could get into the weeds of more, but at the very least, it means this. We have a capacity for rational thought. Two plus two is four. See, I did learn some math in school. It's always been four. It will always be four. can never not be four computation, rational computation, is something that we're able to do. Why are we able to do that? And why is an ape not able to do that? And a lion not able to do that? And a dolphin not able to do that? And a butterfly not able to do that? And a plant not able to do that? Why can we think rationally? Well, we can think rationally because in the beginning God said, spoke, let there be light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God, the Bible articulates a worldview that undergirds the idea that rational thought is a part of God's nature, him speaking into the world, and when he made us in his image, he made us rational beings. Unless you're a two-year-old who wants, you know, an ice cream cone or something, and your mom and dad don't, don't want that, you know, we act irrationally rationally at times, but the reason we can function rationally is because we're made in God's image. In fact, rational thought is a giant problem for evolutionary naturalism as a worldview. Evolutionary naturalism says we arose by chance. You heard that kind of language in, in, uh, in jean Paul Sartre's kind of, kind of depressive claim. He said, if we just came about by chance, I have no right to be here. Well, folks, if we just came about by chance, 2 plus 2 can't be 4. Or we can't be assured that 2 plus 2... Is for. In fact, if we arose by chance, the argumentation that, sci- that evolutionary naturalists use to make a case for scientific evidence in evolutionary naturalism can't work because rational thought, how did it come about? Where did it come about if there wasn't some person giving us rational thought? The very idea that you and I can think and use our brains gives us the clue that there is someone, a person behind us giving us the opportunity and the privilege of being image bearers to have rational thought. So capacity for rational thought. A second one is capacity for moral choice. And we've already talked a little bit about morality. Morality comes directly from a God who says, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. Interestingly enough, people of all ages, of all times, of all places, universally have had a moral system. Now, they've not all had the very same laws or the very same functionality of those laws. Some places had a moral system where you sacrificed children. Some places had a moral system where stealing was okay. But throughout human history, things like incest and murder, other than in sacrifice, have typically, worldwide, universally been understood to be wrong. Where did that come from? It came from the fact that we're made in God's image. We just know some things are wrong. We act as if some things are wrong. And you can even go to people who don't have a biblical worldview. You can even go to people, even in our cultural argumentation. Do you realize that our value arguments in our world are value arguments about right and wrong? Some people say you can't legislate morality. Every law is a legislation of morality. It's just, the question is, who's morality? In other words, if you get to say what is right and wrong based on your feelings and your desires, you're saying what is right and wrong. And you're saying, I should be bound by your ideas of right and wrong. What the Bible tells us, and this is where our our foundation for moral authority comes from, it doesn't say you and I get to decide what's right and wrong. It just says you and I get to... Be underneath the authority of God, who says what is right and wrong? But that capacity for morality, even the fact that in our world, people who have a completely different worldview than us and value system, when they argue for right and wrong, they are giving us a picture of being made in the image of God. Because the capacity for that doesn't come from animals, it doesn't come from instincts. The arguments for selfish genes and things that have come out of naturalistic worldviews to argue for morality cannot explain the acts of courage and virtue and even evil that take place in our world. But a biblical worldview where we have a capacity for moral choice can and does. So a capacity for moral choice. Let me give you a third one. A capacity for artistic creativity comes from God. We have artists in our room. We have, we have people who are fantastic musicians, wonderful singers, and what they play. And if I sat down at the piano, this crowd would be much, much smaller. Okay, I can't play the piano. I can't make it sound nice, but Retta can make it sound beautiful. I can't play the guitar, but Dustin can make it sound like it's something special. I can't sing well, but Dr. Mike can sing and lead us in singing, and it sounds. Beautiful. I, I tried my hand at art. My mom sent me to art classes. All of you had to do stuff like that when you were growing up. Some of you, it was piano. Some of you, was guitar. I went to art classes. I've got a few paintings that I did. They're not very good. But we've got people in the room that are fantastic artists, beautiful artists. Where does that come from? It comes from God. I mean, when you look out, it, it, so we as humans, we're the only, we're the only creature in creation That stops to look at a sunrise or a sunset or walks up on a mountain and says, man, that that view is gorgeous. We're the only ones. Birds don't do that. You know, animals don't do that. Plants don't do that. But we do that. Why? Because God made us in his image. We're image bearers. And where does that come from? If it, I'm getting an apologetics argument in a theology class, but, but I think it's important for us to kind of go here for a second. If you, if you want to have some fun with people who don't think like with a biblical worldview, they don't believe we're created, they don't believe God exists, blah, 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 ask them where we get our capacity for rationality. Ask them where we get our capacity for morality. Ask them where we get our capacity for artistic creativity. Because it cannot be grounded in chance. It can't, it's can't. it got to come from somewhere. And ultimately, we hold that it comes from the fact that God thought a black widow spider would be a fantastic element of creation. I mean, spiders shoot threads out of their butt. I mean, who would have thought of that? Right? I mean... God thought that up from nothing now here's the difference we're creative but we're creative out of things we've seen and heard and experienced before anything was there was nothing and God thought it all up from scratch so the next time you think of the intricacies of DNA or the vastness of space or you take a look at the ugliest bug you could absolutely imagine or wonder about mosquitoes or about thorn bushes on roses, God thought that up. He, he designed that. He, he functioned. He made it just so. And so our ability to be artistically creative comes from God. Uh, another capacity, capacity for social relationships. We're going to come to this in detail in a moment. But our ability to interact with one another. C- certainly animals have some kind of social hierarchy. in certain types of animal structures. But we're able to interact not only with one another. But with a deity. We're able to talk. And talk rationally. And explore all these other aspects of being made in God's image. We're able to explore that in the relationships that we have with one another and interact. Uh, Stott adds, th- these come from John Stott, by the way. He adds a fifth one, fifth capacity, and this is a fascinating observation on his part. We have a capacity for humble relationships. Now, I didn't say we're humble, or nor did Stott say that, but that you and I can bow ourselves before another person and submit to their authority, whether that's as a child to a parent, or whether that's as in society to a police officer or government official, or whether that's in the life of the church. The church, you know, submits to the authority of the church leaders. Or whether that is a human submitting to the authority of God. That capacity can only come if God gave us that capacity because that's not in... Our nature is to be in charge. But God made us so that we can bow before him in submission. And God gave us the picture of that, ultimately the model of that, in Jesus, who came, and he is king. He has all authority. All authority on, it has been given to him on heaven and on, on earth. But here's the glory of what, what Jesus did. not only He does have all authority, but he came humbly. He came submitting to the authority of his Father so that you and I could experience salvation. He's the picture of that. So when we think about God creating man in his own image, we, we should understand it as God created man in his image for relationship and for rule. Here's what should blow our minds. That's the last blank down at the bottom. Why did God make us? Ultimately, for his glory. The Westminster Catechism put, puts it this way. What is the chief end of man? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But God made us with a capacity for rationality, artistic creativity, morality, and relationship. Not just so that we could interact with each other, but so that we could know Him. God made us for the purpose of being in relationship with Him. The the major reason you were born is not your job. Your spouse, your children, or God bless you, even your grandchildren. That's not the re- major reason you're, you, God made you. God made you to know Him. And the thing that God thought throughout all of human history, all, all of, however and we talked about how time works, and that, you know, that's an odd thing for God, different for God than us, rather God decided somewhere in time past. That he wanted you to live in this world. And he wanted you to know him because he wanted to know you. God created us for relationship. Abraham Kuyper describes it this way. But just as the entire creation reaches its culminating point in man, so also religion finds its clear expression only in man who is made in the image of God. And this is not because man seeks it, but because God himself implanted in man's nature... The real essential religious expression by means of the seed of religion, as Calvin defines it, sown in the human heart. In other words, the best that we as humans could ever be would be being known by God and knowing God. We're not going to ever get better than that. And it, this whole concept of progressing as a society to accomplish some kind of purpose... That's really not a a very uh, connected idea to a biblical worldview. Because the Bible says that we're sinners in need of a relationship with God. And the fullest expression of human relationship is in a relationship with God. The best of religion is not us going out and doing good works. The best of religion is us knowing God. And God knowing us. And ultimately what that points to is that God's going to come back and set things that are wrong, right? It's not this idea that we're going to constantly get better. Um, let Let me give you some implications for man in relationship and in rule. When I say rule, really we're talking about what God said to do after he said he made us in his image. Notice this. This is seminal to us being made in the image of God. So, verse 27 of Genesis 1. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, we're going to come back to this next week. Dealing with gender, identity, personhood, and those kind of things. But male and female both are image bearers of God. Okay? It doesn't mean God is male and female. That's not the the implication there. But the, the, the idea is, all the way back in Genesis, both... Men and women bore the image of God. The male doesn't bear the image of God any more than the female does, and the female doesn't bear the image of God any more than the male does. In terms of relational reality, God made us us to complement one another so that we can build society, and there's an intentional reason he did that. Look at verse 28. God blessed them. So he made Adam and Eve, created them in his image, and his first act after that was blessing them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, To everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The very first thing that God did after creating Adam and Eve, making us, making man in his image, he blessed them, and then he gave them a command. One of the things we need to realize, the first command God gave was positive, not negative. First thing he said to them wasn't, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told them that. That wasn't the first thing he told them. First thing he told them was what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over it. Uh, In theological language, we call this the cultural mandate. And it's this idea that God made us for a relationship with himself, which you see that borne out in Genesis 2 and 3. What did God do? He came down to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean... That was why God made Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve could interact with God. And God can interact with Adam and Eve in a relationship. And so God's primary desire for you and me is to interact with him in relationship. And he said, Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to have children. Procreate. I mean, that's the first command of Scripture. And and that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They had children and they procreated and they filled the earth. And, And then it goes on to say that we're to subdue the earth. We're to have dominion over the earth, meaning that the implication for us to live in the world in which we are is we're responsible for the world in which we live. God gave it to us to use, but also to care for. Let me give you some implications that flow out of that. Uh, Number one, philosophically, we are not co equal with creation as if we were an evolved species within it. We're different from creation, we're not like plants and animals. Now, other philosophical worldviews don't perceive us as that. They think we're part of the problem. And then if we just limit the number of people on earth, the earth would heal. And, and, and that if we use oil and those kind of things, we're just doing terrible damage to the earth. God gave us the earth to use it. Now, we could damage it, okay? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But philosophically, we're not coequal with creation. Creation is underneath Our responsibility, we're responsible to rule over it, to manage it, to care for it. We're different. We're unique from all other creation because none of the other created elements or created creatures were made in God's image, only us. So why do we rule? Why do we act like we're in charge of creation? Because God's in charge. We're just functioning like God, functioning like God wants us to function in the world. So... Number two, as an implication, we are not subordinate to creation as if Mother Earth or Gaia is somehow superior to us. That's all kind of New Age worldviews. You know, we protect Mother Earth. Uh, About every, well, not every, but a whole bunch of Disney movies have that as their undergirding worldview. That, you know, we we need to protect, you know, Mother Earth is like some kind of deity. That's a bunch of hogwash. You know, Earth is a special aspect of God's creation, but it itself is not living. It is, it is inanimate matter. There are living things in earth, on earth, as far as plants and animals. But earth itself is a function of God's created order. Uh, and so we're not underneath creation. That's kind of hogwash. So if you, if you note that in movies or in ideologies, just you know, basically ignore it. That's not who we are. We're responsible for earth. That gets us to number three, we're not lords of creation, in, in the strongest sense, as if all of creation answers to our beck and call. It doesn't mean we get to control everything. We're not ultimate masters. God is. He, he's ultimately responsible. Not, so that means we can, we can do damage to the earth. Gets us to implication number four. Here's the point. Rather, we are to be stewards of creation... Stewards, managing it well, and in care, which God in which God gave us responsibility. And basically, we're to care for creation. Now, I'm not trying to become like an environmentalist. Okay, don't don't hear me make that point and think, oh my goodness, Chris is going to go uh, going to start hugging trees or something like that. Uh, but we are responsible for creation. We're responsible for its function and its use. I mean, if we can recycle, we should recycle. I'm a little disappointed in our local, you know, county and government, the recycling facilities are all gone and you know you wanna you know, we're we're told by environmentalists to do our part, and those of us that are Christians who realize, hey, we are so responsible to take care of creation, want to do our part and, and take away all the recycling bins. Why? Because money talks, right? All those things are about money or about the people who dropped their trash in the recycling bins. Like, you know, there's, no, there's not a level of care. And so, but here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line, folks. If we don't see ourselves as image bearers of God who have been given a responsibility to care for creation, then guess what? We're not going to care for creation very well, which is why there's so much misuse of creation in all sort of ways. Making things that are immoral or evil, uh, abusing elements of creation, that kind of stuff happens. And so our responsibility is to steward creation. We could go a lot further there, but we'll, we'll, we'll call that, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be done on that point. Let me look at the four takeaways. What do we do with this as image bearers of God? Number one, We need to recognize that God's gender design reveals our need for interdependence as well as respect for others. Now, we're going to dive into this quite a bit more next week. Next week's topic is, uh, and I got it written down, next week's topic is uh, personhood, identity, and the taint of sin. So we'll kind of note what sin does to those aspects. Personhood and identity, we're going to get in the whole gender identity thing and how that totally... Works against the doctrine of the image of God, and why is it such a front and center ideology in our contemporary uh, American experience today? It's because society wants to. Well, Satan wants to destroy the idea of the image of God in human in humanity. If he can destroy that idea, he can destroy the concept of God and surrender to God. The whole reason for that set of ideas. But what we need to take away from tonight is that. God made us male and female because he intended us to function as men and women in the world. He intended for us to have children and grandchildren. He intended for us to fill the earth and subdue it. He is pleased with all of those elements. He's pleased with a full earth of people because every person bears his image. So we need that interdependence. But that also leads us to another aspect. We need to respect others. He this very clearly, every person on planet earth, regardless of skin color, worldview, ideology, or even level of sinfulness is still an image bearer of God. It doesn't matter what they've done or where they came from. It doesn't matter what they lack or what they have. Every single human being is a bearer of God's image. Which means, as Christians, every time we look out and see somebody having a bad day, being a jerk to you, you just want to wring their neck, even if it's your own kids. When we look at them, they bear God's image. Every single person. That's why racism can't have any place among, the, among followers of Jesus it doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter your color of skin. God's no respecter of persons. Every person bears the image of God. It's why even the racial slavery that, that is embedded in our country's history is evil. It's just wrong. It's why the founders, and some of them struggled with it, but man, they messed up. They didn't deal with slavery at the founding of our country. Even though Jefferson said, all men are created equal. But in our country, that wasn't, that wasn't reality in the way that we operated as a country that's wrong folks we are every person bears the image of god so as a christian our job is to look around and see that every person bears the image of god from the person that aborts babies to the doctors that abort babies to the person that would blow up an abortion clinic because they disagree with abortion they all bear the image of god which is why until their choice is final meaning their death is they've entered death they have an opportunity to re-engage in a relationship with God. That's why you and I as followers of Jesus ought to treat others with the same grace and respect that God's treated us with. So this has drastic implications for the way we treat others. And if any of us walk out of here thinking, man, I, those people out there that, are, that just you know, own their poverty and they don't care about anything, and they don't care about anybody, I don't have any use for them. We've got to be careful with that kind of mindset and attitude because they still bear the image of God. Same thing whether that's color of skin or whether that's nationality. Whether that's worldview, they still bear the image of God. A Muslim bears the image of God. A Hindu and a Buddhist bears the image of God. A, China, a person from China bears the image of God. Adolf Hitler bore the image of God. As evil as he was, we'll get into the problem of sin and evil later, but they still bear the image of God. Impli- or Takeaway number two. We must see ourselves with equal parts wonder and humility. So think about this for just a second. God thought it would be a good idea to have you in the world. Okay, your mom and dad didn't think you up. You get that, right? I mean, you you know how all that works. So I don't need to explain seventh grade science class. God thought you up. He thought you should look just like you look. He thought you should think just like you think. He thought you should have the personality that you have. He thought you should have the social dynamics that you have. He thought you should have the struggles that you have. God thought all of that up. He thought it would be a good thing if the world had you. Did you catch what it said after day six? After all five days of creation, God saw that it was good. Did you catch what it said after day six? God saw that it was very good. Because he made us in his image. So we should look at ourselves with a sense of wonder. You know, David did a little bit of that. Psalm 139. I I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All of us are. So the next time you get super frustrated at your spouse or your child. Because they're just so stubborn and impatient. And difficult. God thought it would be a good idea for them to be in the world. He did. And just as they are. Now of course sin entered and, you know, Sin's a big part of that problem. We'll get to, there, get to that later. But God made you. He designed you. So there's a level of wonder that should be there. There's also a level of humility. That should come with that. Because God also thought that lots of other people should be in the world. And that God thought them up. Thought us up, should humble us. Designed you just as you are. Knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of us, that's a little harder than others. Or easier than others, rather. Sorry. Uh, Number three. This is an implication for how we interact in society. We must be willing to be the vocal minority living and communicating the biblical design regardless of the shifting culture. My personal, it's kind of my, my two cents worth as, a, as kind of an opinion. I think the issue of identity, uh, humans being created in the image of God, and sexuality, I think those issues, those topics, are going to be the distinguishing feature for Christian theology and Christians living in America in the next 20 to 40 years. I mean, they already are now but I think those issues are only going to ramp up in their level of divide uh, and potentially in their level of persecution. Uh, per, I use that word loosely, but, you know, who knows? Things have moved so fast in some other capacities of life. I mean, COVID taught us some things that, and I'm, I'm not as scared of the disease as I am how fast The society changed with regard to what the government was telling us we could do, shouldn't do. Uh, Those kind of things are kind of things that you're like, ah, man, that looked like a test case for something else. Um, And so who knows how fast elements of persecution can happen. But but, follower of Jesus, Christian, one of the things we can't do is we can't give up the authority of Scripture. God made us in His image, and this will be the distinguishing issue. And let me get very pointed for those of you that have children and grandchildren in the room. As followers of Jesus, we have got to teach these truths to our children and grandchildren. Because let me tell you, if they turn on Disney, or if they watch a Marvel movie, or if they pay any attention to what society is showing them in terms of movies and media and music, or what politics is telling them, they're not going to get the idea that they're made in God's image, and that God made them beautifully male and female. They're not going to get that. They're going to get something far different. They're going to get some kind of weird ideology that if they wake up one morning and, and, and they're a female and they think they want to be a male, that they could just go be a male. And you just can't. It, that's, that's un, it's not only irrational, but it is totally unbiblical. Let me tell you something, Christian. The only people that are going to tell our kids and grandkids that are us. It's going to happen in the church or it's not going to happen at all. We got a little flack a few years ago when we did that sexuality series here at the church. A little flack publicly because we, you know, we want to let our parents know what we were going to be talking about. But folks, we need to talk about those things. and We need to be clear on what Scripture teaches because that's the only thing that's going to ground us and help us be able to navigate all the craziness that is out there and being taught. And in some cases being taught in places where we should trust our kids to be taught, like a school system or a higher education. Um, so if they're going to learn a biblical worldview, it's going to have to come from the church. It's going to have to come from mom and dad. It's going to have to come from grandparents. Uh, there are resources available to help you navigate some of those things with your children and grandchildren. I'd be happy to provide those. But Christians, we've got to be willing to be the vocal minority. Regardless of what culture says is right, normal, and okay, we've got to speak what it's biblically true. So uh, let me give you uh, takeaway number four, and we'll close up. We must take our responsibility to rule creation seriously and carefully. I'd venture a guess that not a lot of Christians realize that they have an obligation to be fruitful and multiply. That's the first command of the Bible. God never rescinded it. That doesn't mean every Christian has to have children, Okay. Because some are providentially hindered from being able to have children. I know that. And, and I, the, the point is that God made us to be fruitful and multiply. He designed us as humanity for that purpose. And he made us to rule over creation. So the next time you plant a flower, you're doing a good thing. You're ruling creation. The next time you grow, a, you know, pull blueberries... And 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 uh, blueberry trees and strawberries. We don't have strawberries up here. It's too not not warm enough. Uh, apples, peaches, all of those aspects of seeing things grow and managing and ruling that, folks. That's an aspect of being made in God's image, the way God designed us. The next time you recycle some water, or a water bottle, rather, th- rather sorry, or a can, and we have a recycling bin right out the corner. Because at least in the town proper we still have opportunities to do recycling that's one way of managing creation not all the way you know should you buy electric vehicles should you should all that stuff silly isn't it i don't want to get too much meddling in, in in kind of politics some of those things may go a little far nevertheless as christians we still have to think about things like that but not because the environmentalists tell us so not well, because the tree huggers tell us so. Because we don't worship earth. But we do have a responsibility to manage and steward it. So we have to think about things like that. It's good for us to think about things like that. Because God gave us a beautiful earth to enjoy. So that is uh, the starting point for the doctrine of the image of God. We're going to look at a couple of uh, 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 specific elements of personhood theory, identity, and those kind of things next week. I will try to have some resources for you if you'd like to dive a little deeper into some of those concepts uh, next week and begin looking at the the doctrine of sin and kind of what that means. What happened with Adam and Eve? Why'd they fall? Uh, Weren't they such idiots back in Genesis 3 uh, to listen to Satan? Yeah, they were, but we would have done the same thing nevertheless. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.